a hotel with a notorious past is the site of another bizarre case. Elisa Lamb from Vancouver, Canada is missing. The big unanswered question is, where is she? The last footage that we had of her was inside the elevator. That's where the case starts to go askew. She kept looking outside the door. Why is the elevator not going anywhere? Is someone keeping her here? Her hand movements are very strange and erratic. Like she's conjuring a spirit. It makes people wonder, is there something evil going on here? It just blew up. In the Web Sleuth community, it created this feeding frenzy. If it's a murder, then you need a murderer. You really don't have the full story. She was running around trying to save her own life. Bad things keep happening here over and over again. This hotel was hiding something. I would have never thought what was about to happen could happen. This is the latest chapter in a dark history for the Cecil Hotel. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, Restrictions all apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to TV Concierge, a podcast on TheRinger.com that helps you navigate the vast streaming landscape. My name is Amelia Wedemeyer and I am joined by Claire McNear. She's the staff writer for The Ringer. She's also the author of a book called Answers in the Form of Questions, which is truly the definitive guide to Jeopardy. So buy that. Um, And we (laughs) are going to be talking about Crime Scene, The Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel, which is now available to stream on Netflix. And we have three main takeaways from the series. Claire, are you so excited? Yeah, I'm eager to talk about this with you. It was it was uh, a, a rich text. It was kind of a case that I knew a little bit about before. Like I yeah. like as soon as I, I pressed play, I was like, oh, it's this one. And right. anyway, lots to talk about here. Lots to talk about. So I guess let's just begin with what is the Cecil Hotel and what is its history? Yeah, I, I mean, like it's it's an interesting uh documentary in that like I they really kind of made the hotel into a character. And Definitely. like, I, I found myself like watching it and I, I will talk at length about my kind of problems with this documentary <laughs> sure, yeah. as a whole in a little bit. But I, for me, like one of the, the things I found myself thinking was that like, I almost wished it had just been a documentary about the Cecil hotel with yes. this being like a part of that. Oh my God. Yes. I totally agree because it kind of, 
diverged into this whole like, let's talk about the Elisa Lamb thing and like, let's make this hotel into like, like you're saying, a character, but make it all scary and make, and it just was like, again, part of this whole true crime trope. And I, obviously, we'll talk about that more later. But um, the Cecil Hotel, for those of you who don't know, who haven't seen this documentary yet, um, it's this old kind of traveler's hotel and it was once a luxury destination, but it kind of fell on hard times and it brought a lot of like homeless people, a lot of transients, a lot of people down on their luck because it was placed right like on the edge of an area of downtown LA called Skid Row, um, which they've been trying to gentrify for a little bit now. But, um, you know, it's still there's a lot of crime down there and whatnot. But um Anyway, the Cecil Hotel is the home for a lot of people who are in and out and who stay there for like a cheap rate. And then they also talk about this, I guess, hostel that they made back in 2011 uh, called, I think, the Stay on Main. And that's where the Elisa Lamb story kind of takes off. But it's was meant to attract like a younger traveler who, you know, doesn't really know about the Cecil Hotel's sordid history. And they had a whole rebranding and it was supposed to, again, attract a different clientele than the one that the Cecil Hotel attracts. So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. And as as is the case with so much of this story in this documentary, like it, the, the hotel and the way that it existed at, at the time that this happened felt like a very online thing to me where mm-hmm. it, it was kind of this like sub hostel that was really just a few floors of the hotel that yeah. they sort of redecorated and, and, you know, had online as a separate place. Like that felt like something that sort of rose out of websites like Expedia or right. you know, if you're, if you're abroad and you're just looking like, oh, how can I cheaply book my like vacation to Los Angeles? Uh, you might find this and just, you know, have absolutely no idea what that neighborhood was or, you know, least of all what this hotel was. Right. You had like no idea what the history. And I think they brought on a couple who seemed like they were foreign and they were like, we didn't realize what we were getting into when we got here. We thought it was going to be like just this nice little hostel. And we realized we were kind of in this area of downtown that's, um, a little rougher around the edges and whatnot. And so that was kind of shocking to them, I think. Um, yeah. I mean, and they talk a lot about that and like, mm-hmm. I, I, to some degree, I mean, it almost kind of felt like a scam that the hotel was running at that time. Where in fact, like, I mean, you would get in the elevator and like, you'd go through like this grand right. entryway or like this, they had like a separate entrance for this new sort of rebranded part of the hotel. Yeah. And then you would get in the elevators and it was the same place. And they had a lot of long-term residents who were experiencing addiction or, you know, recovering from, you know, bouts of homelessness or recently out of jail or prison. And I mean, it was not at all kind of what they, they were sold online. So it, it, it was, it, you know, it felt, it felt very much like an internet thing. Yes, definitely. And, you know, they also talked about the hotel's history with some serial killers that have stayed there. They said, they mentioned uh, the night stalker, Richard Ramirez, who apparently would stay at the hotel and he would just be walking around with blood on his clothing. Um, and then you know what I, I was, I was like trying to dig into that though. And I'm not yeah. even sure that is definitively established. Like they definitely really? said it as fact in the documentary. Wow. But I, and I didn't spend a ton of time on this. So sure. this, I mean, you know, Wikipedia, but they were just like, Oh, he was reported to have stayed there. So I'm not even sure if that is true, That's but so yeah, a lot of this, up. like, yeah. Right. Like a lot of this documentary does kind of try to, 
play up this, you know, not only the grandeur of this hotel, but right. also this kind of like spooky history of, of old Hollywood stuff. So definitely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you want to talk about uh, kind of like the Internet sleuths that are drawn to the entire story and more about the hotel itself as a character? Yeah, I so um if you are, are better adjusted than than I am, uh, you might not be uh, <laughs> super familiar with, you know, kind of the beats of, of this case. So, I mean, the, this documentary is about a, a young woman named Elisa Lam, who was a 21-year-old student at the University of British Columbia. She's from Vancouver. And she stayed at, at this kind of, uh, you know, hostile part of the Cecil Hotel on, on a trip by herself through um, Los Angeles and vanished. And um, it, it, we were kind of talking about earlier today, what were the parts of this story that kind of made it take off and become this thing that, that attracted these like self-appointed internet sleuths? Yeah. And I think, I mean, to some degree, it's just, it was it was a young, beautiful woman, a, a, you know, a student with her life ahead of her just vanished in, in the middle of a, you know, busy American city. That, that I think, has always kind of been catnip for, for headlines. And Definitely. so- then, you know, she was missing for a few weeks after, you know, she disappeared. And I mean, she was, her disappearance was noted very quickly and it became this sensation. And then, you know, it, it drew this attention uh, both abroad and in, in the U.S., I think. And it did just kind of become this object of obsession for internet sleuths. So, I mean, I, I was reading an interview earlier today with Joe Berlinger, who is the show's creator. And right. an interesting thing about this that's probably worth mentioning is that it's not just the vanishing at, at the Cecil Hotel. It is crime scene colon right. the vanishing at the Cecil Hotel. And right. I think it is, it is like a Netflix franchise they are planning where they are going to kind of roll out different true crime um, installments like this. But I, I think... <sighs> It seemed to me from reading that that he meant for these sleuths who kind of come up over and over and over over the course of the documentary and sort yeah. of talk through different theories, it, they're supposed to be sort of a Greek chorus. And, uh, yeah. I, you know, I it was, it was sort of it, like it, clearly he intended it to be partly about the specifics of Elisa Lam's disappearance and her death, mm -hmm. but also partly about like what drives random people, strangers on the internet to just sure. become really, really obsessed um, with these cases. And I, I, I think, you know, one of the problems I had with this was, was that it really did sort of lend them a little bit too much credence. I think like we, we really yeah. followed the sleuths down the rabbit hole a lot of the time, even with things that, you know, were very much debunked. Yeah. For like three episodes, for three right. out of the four episodes, it was like they framed it like, oh, my God, this could really be a murder. This could be a part of a larger story that maybe involves the government, like yeah. uh, kind of this really intense story and only to have it suddenly shift at the end to be like, this was actually like just a a bipolar episode that really ended in tragedy, which was kind of like, oh my God, okay. Right. The tone yeah. is, I mean, it's it's a tragic, tragic story. Yeah. It's really, it's it's crushing. And I mean, it does intersect with these kind of inter interesting storylines about, you know, Los Angeles and, and Skid Row yeah. and, um, you know, mental illness. But it, it, the story itself is is not this great mystery. Like we, right. we know what happened and yeah. um, it's a very, very sad story. It is. It really is. And I don't know if did you watch the the other Netflix uh, true crime series? Don't fuck with cats. I didn't. I, I've heard so much about that, but I've never sure. actually seen it myself. It's it does. It focuses actually the don't fuck with cats, I think, focuses even more on the Internet sleuths and how they were just so persistent in finding this person and whatnot. And that really did involve like a killer and whatnot. But I kind of saw the different, you know, similarities in 
and again, it goes back into this like falling into a salacious trap of like, oh, murder. Because I mean, you know, I I hate to say it, but like I'm intrigued by murder, you know, and it's an interesting thing. And it's it's so easy for your mind to just kind of go somewhere when we don't have the answers, I guess, at the of time. Of course. Of course. And and I do think that, um, you know, I, I, there is so much about internet sleuths and what drives people yeah. to become obsessed with the disappearances or deaths of people that they don't know. That That is really, really interesting. Yeah. But with this, I mean, there there's an episode where we kind of follow some of the sleuths as they get together and then go to the Cecil Hotel yeah. and basically try to retrace Elisa Lamb steps. And it, I mean, it's really kind of upsetting to watch because yeah. they're, they're kind of giddy about it. Like they're excited totally. to be there and be like, oh, we're hunting for clues. This is where she was last seen. Here's the elevator. Oh, what could have, you know, and it's just right. like, like a young woman died and died tragically here. And like, I don't mean to like totally deflate like a true crime thing because there is so much that is interesting about very sad stories sure. a lot of the time. But, um, but we, we really followed the sleuths quite a bit here. Oh my God, you're so right. And I think one of the episodes, I think the third episode was called like Down the Rabbit Hole. And they, you know, and they focus on the video of her, which is kind of a bizarre video. If you guys haven't seen it, it's she's pressing these buttons. She's clearly having some kind of a, a mental disorder. Uh, it seems like, because she had bipolar disorder and they were saying that it, it seemed as if she wasn't taking her medication and yeah. that's probably what happened. And she's kind of acting as if there's someone there, but there's no definitive proof that there was. And there's like, you know, they talk about there's uh, the time code is all jumbled up and there might be a cut scene from the elevator. And again, it's part of falling into that rabbit hole of having, you know, something very interesting, quote unquote, and wanting to follow that through. And, you know, I I see, and I'm sure you do too, see this like more and more, not only in true crime, but kind of leak over to like celebrity culture. Like I, I don't, I'm, I don't mean to like go all into like the army hammer allegations that are going on right now. But I mean, I see that with people when it's like, you're, you're not even focusing on what you should focus on, which is like, these women are claiming they were abused, but you're more right. intrigued by the cannibalism or, you know, the purported, was he involved with the murder? Which is like, there's no basis to this, but you just, you want so badly to believe it. That's sick, you know? That's sick. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I, the, the video is, is, um, I think an, an important part of this because there is, I mean, there's, it's this really haunting footage where she's clearly in distress and clearly needs help and support yeah. and isn't getting it. And, you know, that's the last footage of her alive. But I, I think that um, one of the threads that I found interesting that did not really get explored in this was kind of the LAPD angle where we follow some of the sleuths as they're, they're like, oh, you know, it's a government conspiracy and yeah. there's LAPD corruption and they're covering up the, what really happened. And of course, we know that that's, that's totally bogus here. But yeah, the LAPD actually released that video. And the video, I think, was what really made it take off and inspired all these people to kind of become obsessed with it and develop sure. all these, I mean, conspiracy theories, just right. outright conspiracy theories. And I think that they're when when LAPD was first investigating, like immediately after her disappearance, where she went, they had a, a dog track 
her scent to the window that she used to access the roof, which is where she eventually passed away. Right. And they went up on the roof and they kind of, you know, gave it a quick search and then got pulled away. And there was um, Christopher Dorner. There was that, the whole Christopher Dorner thing where he he killed a, a, an officer and kind of went on the run in, outside of Los Angeles. That that happened to happen like the very next day. Yeah. So the police kind of immediately sort of put this case somewhat on the back burner. But they were really close to her body immediately after her death and they they didn't find her. And I I an angle I think that would have been really interesting would be to, you know, kind of look at the ways in which the LAP messed this up and, and yeah. both, you know, and not really getting the solve for a few weeks and adding that much more pain to, to you know, her loved ones. Sure. Um, but also allowing it to become this sensation that, you know, it's, uh, sorry, my cat just tried to jump on the counter and totally fell off. She's very sensitive. <laughs> so um, cute. <laughs> she, uh, yeah, but, but the LAPD also, um, really allowed it to to kind of run away and, and yeah. become this thing that became a documentary, you know, years later and, and that people totally. still obsess over and don't believe, you know, the simple, horrible truth about. Right. And it's just like, and it's sad. And we meet another character in the whole story, this guy who goes by the name Mayhem, and he's like this kind of metal rocker. And he was apparently staying at the hotel and they thought that he was staying there at the same time, but he wasn't. And he just had a lot of songs about death and somehow he got swept up in it and people are like, you killed her. And it just, again, it got away from everyone because they just wanted to pin answers on people who really don't have answers. And it was kind of a witch hunt. And that was, yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, I, I, one of the things I kind of wanted to, you know, do here, I, I mentioned earlier that I really have sort of a rant about the ways in which no, I, please, I, I struggled I'm, with this. But I, I mean, just to, to kind of move on to um, sort of the third thing we talked about discussing, which is kind of the state of true crime right now. Yes. Because there has been a pretty negative response to this this documentary, um, which I've been kind of surprised by, though obviously I, I did not really like it myself. But right. if you will allow me a, a quick rant about please, this. Please, please, no, yes. <laughs> So I, I mean, I am a person who, you know, I do find, I, I, I enjoy a lot of true crime content, as, as I guess what I would say. I mean, I, I find a lot of these kind of really horrible, tragic crimes. I do find them kind of interesting for what they. Me too. A lot of you people know, reveal do. about human nature, or you know, whatever it is. Definitely. Um, so I am a person who who watches this, who listens to this, who reads this. But I, I you know, I think the the question at the center of the true crime genre is, uh, it's it you know, you need true crime to kind of do two things at once. And that's, you know, d- does it work on a, a kind of journalistic level and does it mm-hmm. work on an entertainment level? And on the the kind of reporting stance, it's like, do you trust the people who are actually making it, whether that's producers or writers or, you know, how are they going about investigating it? Are they doing it in kind of a reasonable, honest, open a thorough way. I mean, like, are they, it doesn't necessarily need to be that they crack the case or solve the crime or find new evidence, but are they kind of leading you through the story responsibly? And then on the entertainment side, obviously that is, you know, a a horrible way to think of rehashings of these, you know, horrible crimes and and deaths and and pain. But when it is a TV show that is asking you to watch four episodes, put three hours into this or eight hours or, you know, whatever it is, like there has to be something that is at least interesting. Like, are you learning something? Are you taking something away from it? And 
And, you know, the best true crime is both of those things. Like you learn something and it's engaging and, um, you know, you, you can do one without the other. You can have a really interesting true crime thing that is really exploitative and, you know, you yeah. can debate that, but that exists. But I, I think with this, it was really neither of those things. It didn't work on either of those levels. Yeah. In that, we spent so much time with the conspiracy theorists. We, you know, it was clear that, for example, her family was not part of this. So I assume that means that they did not want to cooperate. And it seems like they had pretty good reasons not to. Right. And then on the, you know, on the entertainment level, like we had four episodes and we wasted all this time and we went down these avenues that the producers then come out and say like, oh no, that's totally bogus and here's why. Having just spent 25 minutes like telling us that, you know, a death metal singer in Mexico might be a suspect and it's like, oh no, he wasn't in the country. So I, you know, I think we're, we're left with this show that is bloated, that's structured poorly, that, you know, very sensationally rehashes what is really a very, very, very sad story. And it's just like, at the end of it, I I was just like, why did we spend three hours here? What did we learn? What was the point of all this? Exactly. No, I, you're, (laughs) we're done, but I'm just, no, that was like, perfect. (laughs) I I totally agree with you. I'm curious what you think. Yeah. Like what, what is like good true crime to you? You know, I agree. I think it is something that, I mean, you know, I hate to say it, it titillates you, but it also gets you to question things. And I think the, so the guy who directed this and who was the executive producer, I know you mentioned him before, Joe Berlinger, he has done a lot of true crime series and he's probably best known, I would say, for his HBO series, Paradise Lost, which covers the West Memphis Three. And I think for something like that, that is a, a shining example, if you can say that, of true crime, because that is something that really reexamines the story. And, you know, it's like these three guys who were obviously so wrongly accused of murdering these three young boys. And um, and it does it in a way that is it, it fascinates you, but it also has you question the, the entire story and the validity of which they, you know, were accused, tried for and convicted, you know, and it, and it ends up, I mean, I don't want to say that that documentary totally gave them, you know, evidence and whatnot to exonerate uh, the guys who were tried and put away unjustly, but I think it definitely sparked a larger conversation to be had. And I think it's just sad to see or just maybe disappointing to see that, you know, this guy who knows how to do good true crime, like he he does, it, there's evidence, um, has to kind of, I don't even know, like search around for crumbs almost to present to us just a story that really doesn't need four episodes and retelling and going down, like right. you're saying, these like salacious storylines, you know? Yeah. And it's just like, it's unfortunate. And and he also was kind of in hot water recently too because he was responsible for the Ted Bundy tapes on Netflix, which again, people were saying you're giving too much emphasis. You're putting too much emphasis on the serial killer and not on the victims. And it's again, you know, true crime, it's just like a murky, murky subject area. And it, it's, and when it's, it's done well. It's really done well and it's good. And I think it furthers the conversation. But when it's done just not with the utmost care, you get into just like territory that is 
icky. Like I have no other word for it than it being just like it's icky, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, like I said, I've been a little bit surprised by this sort of widespread backlash to this documentary, though. I mean, I think it's, it's totally warranted. And I, mm-hmm. I wonder if, like this sort of felt like true crime for true crime's sake. It's like, oh, here's <laughs> yeah. a horrible thing that happened. Let's go over all the horrible details. And like, I don't know that that, that can be justified really. But it, I, I wonder, I mean, clearly we are in the midst of a true crime bubble where there's just yeah. so, so much of it being made and, and you know, very high budget stuff all over Netflix and other streaming sure. services and podcasts. And I, I wonder if people are kind of, starting to lose patience with this sense of like true crime for true crime's sake where, you know, I don't, I don't think we're going to see like the wholesale abandonment of, of sure. like true crime, but just the like, why, why did we, do, why did we watch this really long thing that just was awful and crushing? Totally. And I, I wonder if that, that bubble is starting to burst. Yeah, that is interesting. I think it, I mean, it seems like, yeah, if, from what critics are saying and, you know, and it's, but it's interesting because there's always going to be a space for it, obviously. And um, it's just even like I was looking through the Twitter comments of people and, you know, they love focusing on the the crazy hotel manager lady and whatnot, right. which I mean, whatever that it, it is what it is. But um, yeah. So would you recommend this series to people or would you <laughs> s- steer clear? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've been a little negative here. I, I uh, again, I think that there were really interesting parts of the story. Mm-hmm. And there were probably ways that you could tell this story as part of um, a, a larger kind of tapestry of looking at, you know, either the hotel or, you know, the history of Los Angeles or mm-hmm. kind yeah. of what, what creates these sort of sensationalized obsession inducing cases. Um, sure. But I, for, for this specific documentary, I, I would not, I don't think recommend it. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. It's you just like kind of feel like you wasted four hours of your life after you're done. Like I remember watching it, being like, "So wait, what?" So, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it's just sad. It's just it heartbreaking, is and it's just like there's it's it's bad enough that this happened in the first place, and yes. it's just like I, you know, I I don't I don't think there's I don't think this can really be justified, and I don't think it's worth spending three hours with. Right. So everyone learn from our mistakes. <laughs> Find a different true crime thing to watch. Well, thank you for joining me, Claire. You can find Claire at TheRinger.com. Again, you can buy her awesome book. <laughs> I'm serious. Um, which is, it's again... Very little murder in it. Or <laughs> Damn it! Uh, but it's the in answers in the form of questions for all you Jeopardy fans out there. Um, you can find me on Fridays on Tea Time. And see you next time for TV Concierge. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, 
file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.